Hello everybody, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I'm taking up Mark chapter 11, verses 27 through 33, the end of the chapter. This is the story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem on Passion Week, on Tuesday of Passion Week. He's already examined the cursed fig tree on the way in from the Mount of Olives. He gets in and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the ruling elders of the people in the Sanhedrin, they all challenge Jesus and say, who are you to be doing all these things? So Tuesday is debate day on Passion Week. As Jesus debates the Pharisees and he whips them. He makes them look like fools. I love, I love Tuesday of Passion Week. And then Tuesday evening when he goes back to the Mount of Olives, he's going to give the disciples the Olivet Discourse. So that's the context. We have two parallel passages, Matthew 21, verses 21 through 27. And we have Luke chapter 21 through 8. I'm going to go through Luke real quick, pick up a few little details, and then there's nothing more to add from Luke. So it says that, well, let me let me read the passage first in Mark 11, then I'll go to Luke. Mark 11, 27 through 33. They came again to Jerusalem, that's Jesus and his disciples, as he was walking in the temple complex, and this is in the court of the Gentiles on the eastern side there, on that colonnade there, the portico. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came and asked him, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you authority to do these things? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Was John's baptism from heaven or from men? Answer me. They began to argue among themselves. If we say from heaven, he will say, Then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, they were afraid of the crowd because everyone thought that John was a genuine prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now we're going to get into Jesus's, what the trap was that the Pharisees and, and the relig religious authorities were trying to set for Jesus. We're going to see how he got out of the trap, and then we're going to see how he trapped them. But first, let's look through the parallel passages, pick up some minor points, get them out of the way. Luke 20, verse 1, it says that Jesus was preaching the gospel in the temple. And I thought that was interesting because... It shows, I always think of the gospel as what was preached after Pentecost, but here it, the scripture says that the gospel was preached in the temple, which the gospel was preached, which was before Pentecost, before Jesus had even died. Luke adds the fact, well, Mark and Luke both have the fact that the scribes were part of the, the uh, inquisitorial party that was coming up on Jesus to challenge him. Mark, Matthew leaves that out. Let's talk real quick about the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. The chief priests are the religious authorities. The scribes are the scholastic authorities, and the elders are the political authorities. Now, those three categories don't have sharp edges. Sometimes they blur into one another. For example, you might have a scribe who might be on the Sanhedrin, the political authority, for example. And to make this even more complicated, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were two religious schools. They weren't really official. That was just schools of thought. And some Pharisees could be scribes and some not, might not be scribes. A Pharisee could be on the, on the Sanhedrin, on, in the political council. A Sadducee, I guess, could be a scribe too. But in general, the, the priestly function was carried out by Sadducees who tended to be pro-Roman, anti-revolution, and who also had some doctrinal differences with the Pharisees who tended to mostly make up the scribal party. Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, and they only took the Torah, the first, the Pentateuch, to be authoritative. All right, 
But at any rate, just to, to not get into the weeds about that, I've always been fascinated by the differences, but I know a lot of people don't care. So we'll just call them the religious big shots, the, uh, the establishment all joined together to come after Jesus. Now, I'm going to give you Robertson's quotes on this passage because I think it will set the context very well. He says this, Jesus bases his human authority on John the Baptist, his forerunner who baptized him, and demands the Sanhedrin's opinion of the baptism of John. This pertinent counter-question paralyzes the Jewish leaders, and Jesus drives his argument home by three parables. Now, these three parables are going to be in the next chapter in Mark, and so we'll, uh, one of them will be in the next chapter in Mark, and then the synoptics will have the other two. We'll do that in the next audio. The three parables are the parable of the two sons, parable of the wicked husbandman, and parable of the marriage feast of the king's son. All three of those parables have one thing in common. The kingdom's going to be taken away from the Jews. <laughs> and their city's going to be burnt down, one of the parables says, which happened in AD 70. So Jesus is getting warmed up here. Robertson, in another quote, says this, It was very common to test a rabbi with hard questions. See this continued in the following sections. We'll see after Jesus whops them with those three parables, then... The Pharisees and Sadducees come right back at him. Whose authority do you pay taxes? Do, you, do, your, do your disciples pay taxes? The Sadducees say, do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? And so there's some more testing going on on Tuesday, but we'll take that up even later. In like matter, Robertson continues, the fourth gospel gave us much animated dialogue between Jesus and the Jews at Jerusalem in chapters 5, 7, and 10. We'll, we'll take that up when we get to the gospel of John. The Sanhedrin were within their rights, the ruling council, the Sanhedrin, were within their rights in challenging the ecclesiastical and scholastic scribal standing of Jesus. He did not dodge in his answer. No, he did not. Robertson in another quote says this, On this last day of Christ's public ministry, this is Tuesday, Jesus cleansed the temple on Monday. Well, he made the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, the next day on Monday, he cleansed the temple. On Tuesday, he comes in here and debates all day with the Pharisees. Wednesday, he takes a day off. And Tuesday night, I left that out. He had, gave the Olivet Discourse to his disciples back on Mount, Mount of Olives. Then Wednesday, he takes the day off. Thursday, he comes in and celebrates the Passover that night. And then he's arrested early Friday morning and killed Friday afternoon. So the reason that Robertson says this is the last day of Christ's public ministry is because Tuesday night it was with the disciples with Olivet Discourse, and then Thursday came in secretly to take the Passover because they were out to kill him. He had to be secretly in. So this is it. This is the last day that Jesus publicly taught the people. All right, so the first attempt of the Sadducees to break the power of Jesus fails miserably, Robertson continues, but it is followed by a series of other efforts to entrap Jesus and so turn the crowd against him. The three parables, which we're going to take up next audio, the three parables leave the rulers exposed by Jesus and they keenly feel the denunciation of the reply of Jesus. So Tuesday of Passion Week, folks, this is, this is a great time here as we see our Lord taking authority over religious bull hockey. All right, so now let's go through Mark 11:27 through 33 and point out a few things. And, and examine the, the passage more closely. All right, I'm going to read from Matthew 21, 23-27 because there is almost absolutely no difference between Mark, not any that I can tell, and I have most of my notes in Matthew here, so we'll, we'll, we'll go through Matthew here. When he, answered, when he entered the temple complex, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? 
So the whole question here is authority, authority. Who has authority? They ask him, by what authority do you do these things? What things were they referring to? Well, the day before on Monday, Jesus had driven out the buyers and the sellers from the, of the sacrificial animals from the temple area and overturned the tables of the money chambers. And during his ministry, he had restored sight to the blind, he had caused the lame to walk, and he had preached the kingdom of God, you know, typical messianic type things. And the blind fools that were in charge of Jerusalem, they're looking for whose authority did he do these things? Why couldn't they figure out, you know, he healed the blind. He made the deaf and dumb see. He made the lame walk, and you worried about whose authority was it? Now note that they had also asked the same thing of John the Baptist, and Jesus is going to use John the Baptist as a lever in order to pry himself out of his difficulty from the rabbi's charge. Here's what the rabbis had had asked John the Baptist. Let's read from John chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. This is John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? See the religious authorities come in and ask who's the scribe. They do, that was their job. They were supposed to do that, actually. What they weren't supposed to do is to ignore the evidence that's right in front of their eyes. Verse 20, he, John the Baptist, did not refuse to answer, but he declared, I am not the Messiah. What then, they asked him, are you Elijah? I am not, he said. Are you the prophet? That's Deuteronomy 18:15. the prophet predicted by Moses. Are you the prophet? No, he answered. Who are you then, they asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. So, so this is the typical interrogation that goes uh, when you try to be a prophet or a rabbi, especially if you try to be the Messiah. You're going to get interrogated by the rabbis, but that was the job. We'll skip down to verse 24 in John 1. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. So they asked him, Why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? So you see, question after question after question after question. So let's summarize the possible motives of the Jewish leaders. I'm going to use an alliteration here. They were worried about their power, their prophets, and their place. Power, prophets, and place. They were worried about their authority, as I just said. They asked, by what authority do you do these things? Well, what if the people start giving authority to Jesus instead of them? Then they will no longer be the official interpreters of the law. They will not be the ones who will be running the temple. How about their prophets? Well, he ran the money changers out of the temple, and the Sadducees were making some good shekels off of that trade, and he just destroyed it. But even worse than all of that is they're going to lose their place because if Jesus ends up being a Messiah, he's going to start a political upheaval that's going to bring the Romans in and they're going to take the authority away from the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin had the right to try all religious cases. They even had civil authority over all legal cases except for capital punishment. And even with capital punishment, there was one exception for that. I forgot what it was. But basically, they had a lot of authority from the Romans, and they were scared they were going to lose it. Power, profits, and place. I would submit to you that that when you see a church struggle, that's what it's usually over. Who's in charge here? Instead of listening to the Bible, the scriptures which shows that no, there was never one man in charge of a church. Never. I just heard of a story where a, a pastor just got himself a good book deal from InterVarsity Press, no less. And so he has to leave, his elders have to run his church, he comes back, he doesn't like the way they do things, so he fires them all, gets new leadership, then one of the new elders talks to another elder about a problem in the church, not not concerning the pastor apparently, and so the pastor in front of all the other elders confronts this elder and says, you talked about a problem of the church to another elder without consulting me. Power, 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 power. Pastor Popes. 
The evangelical church is rife with this kind of nonsense. That's why I refuse to join the denomination. I'm just sick of it. I'm sick of all the power plays. Well, that's what the Sadducees were up to. Excuse me, the uh, Sanhedrin was up to was power. They wanted to keep their power. And money, I don't need to even say anything about money in the evangelical church. I can't make an analogy with the Pharisees concerned about the Roman Empire. I can't do that with American church today, but I've said enough about that. (sighs) Let's go now. Let's point out now that the Pharisees were not, excuse me, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, the elders, the rules of the people, the Sadducees, all these people, the, the, the religious big shots, they were not concerned with the truth. All they were concerned about was themselves, their power, their place, their profits. That's all they cared about. They didn't bother, bother to examine the truth of the falsity of Jesus' doctrines. Did he quote the Old Testament scripture right? How about his miracles? Was there credible evidence that he actually did the miracles? Well, there was so much evidence they couldn't deny his miracles. So what did they say? Well, he did that from Beelzebul, from Satan. Total ignorance and stupidity and an evil heart. He, they knew he couldn't, they couldn't challenge Jesus on the truth of his doctrines, his teaching, or his miracles because he'd already whipped them up. On that, he'd already beat them already that. So they accused him of doing miracles by the devil. When they did that, Jesus just says, Oh, really, a kingdom divided against itself is going to fall? How can you be so stupid, Pharisees? And he, he would shut them up with unanswerable questions. How do you have authority to heal this man on the Sabbath? And he says, Hey, what's easier to say your No, how do you have authority to say your sins are forgiven? You're committing blasphemy. And Jesus said, What's easier to the man who's paralyzed? What's easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to rise up and walk? And then he makes the man wise up and walk. He'd he'd whip the Pharisees. He had whipped the religious authorities pretty good already. So they had given up on challenging his teaching and challenging his miracles, challenging him on blasphemy. They had given up on saying that his teaching was blasphemous or that his miracles didn't occur or or were done from the devil. They'd given up on that, so now they're going to accuse him of sedition. That's why they asked him that thing about paying taxes to Rome later on on Tuesday. So first, before we get to that, though, let's talk about the nature of the trap they had set for Jesus by asking him about what authority do you do these things. If Jesus had said his authority was from God, they would accuse him of blasphemy. Now, I realize I just said they had given up on accusing him of blasphemy. I guess that was not exactly entirely accurate because apparently they, it doesn't say so, but it's implied or it's reasonable to assume that they were going to charge him immediately with blasphemy if he said his authority was from God. If Jesus had said his authority was from men, the leaders would say, no, it's not, because we haven't given you the authority. So they thought they had him. They were going to go after the blasphemy idea. Again, they've already tried this on him before, previously in Jesus' ministry. They're going to try it again. Jesus really lays it on them because he says, well, okay, you're asking me about that. Let me ask you a similar thing. The baptism of John, where was it, from heaven or from men? And, of course, the trap he got him in, if they said it was from men, they would say, well, uh, if they said the, John's baptism's authority from men, the people knew that John the Baptist was very popular, and they would turn on the, pe- on the crowd and on the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they wouldn't have any power anymore. They wouldn't be able to stop Jesus. The crowd would get angry at the religious authorities, but if they said it was from God, then Jesus just said, well, why didn't you believe him? The Pharisees, of course, as we read in the passage here, 
I say the Pharisees, I mean the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the political leaders, the religious big shots, they all realized the trap they were in because they discussed it amongst themselves and said, we, 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 we damned if we do and damned if we don't. We can't go left, we can't go right, he's got us. So what did they say? We don't know. We don't know what authority was coming from. What a cowardly cop-out. Note how completely unintimidated Jesus was by his enemies. He completely exposes their iniquity and their hypocrisy right here. And as a result, they redouble their, their desire to crucify him. Now, let's take a lesson from this. When somebody with malice aforethought, who has no desire for the truth, asks you a trick question, do you have the obligation to answer them? No, you do not. Now, this basically, if this was a philosophy class where everybody is trying to find the truth, or if it's a court of law where a court's trying to find the truth, you have to answer the question or you're going to lose. Jesus here basically used a two-quoque, a soldier old lady argument. He's saying, hey, you know, you, you want to know where I'm from? Well, well why don't you, you can't answer. I, I can't answer by what authority I came from without getting myself in trouble. Well, let's see you answer where John the Baptist's authority came from without getting you in trouble. He didn't really answer the questions, what I'm saying. He, in law, what, what do they call it? You shift the attention of the, the focus of the jurors. You blow smoke. Well, you know, in a strict logical sense, that's not the way to answer a question. But Jesus is in a contest here for his life. And not only for his life, but for the truth and the integrity of the gospel. He is perfectly... It is perfectly all right for him to say, I'm not going to answer you. I'm not going to answer you. You're not going to charge me with blasphemy in front of all these people. And you're not going to deny my authority from, from God. You're not going to do that. But I'm not going to defend that. I'm going to attack. In other words, he went from the defense to the offense, shifted the focus of the crowd and of the Pharisees, and completely flummoxed them. And that's perfectly okay. You don't have to answer when you're in a kangaroo court. Remember, Jesus was in a kangaroo court in, in the next couple of days on Friday when they had him before the Sanhedrin, excuse me, the yeah, the rump Sanhedrin and the true Sanhedrin, and then he was before Herod and Pilate. He had to go through four separate hearings then. And sometimes he answered when he, he, was, he, answered when he was adjured. Which, but legally, according to the law, I adjure you, answer me. He had to answer, then he did. But other times when they answered him, and it was obviously they were just trying to set him up, and they weren't going to listen to him. He just shut up. He didn't say anything. They, what he's saying is, you don't deserve an answer because you're so bigoted. And that's basically what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees here. You don't deserve an answer because you're a bunch of damn murderers is what you are. A bunch of damnable murderers. Have you ever thought about how strange it is that it's a cuss, it's cussing to call, say somebody to say somebody is a damn murderer, but it's perfectly all right to say they're a damnable murderer? I can't figure that out. But anyway... That's what they were. Jesus, by going to John the Baptist, Jesus is sort of battening on to John the Baptist's authority because he, Jesus knew that John the Baptist was popular. And, of course, John the Baptist is completely allied with Jesus because John the Baptist was preaching Jesus. And so John's situation was exactly the same as Jesus's. The leaders denied that his authority was from God. They did that to John the Baptist. They did that to Jesus. And then the leaders feared the people because the people knew that John the Baptist's authority was from God. Same situation with Jesus. So Jesus went to a good parallel situation and said, okay, you tell me, where's the authority come from? From heaven or from men? The Pharisees eventually say, we don't know. And that's when Jesus said, oh, you don't know? You haven't got the guts to answer me? Well, I ain't going to answer you. If you're a bunch of cowards, you don't deserve my answer. 
Here's what Jameson Fawcett Brown says, quote, Crooked, cringing hypocrites. No wonder Jesus gave you no answer. But what dignity and composure does our Lord display as he turns their question upon themselves? Now, actually, they were lying. Because they didn't know, or they thought they knew anyway. They thought they knew where Jesus' authority authority came from, or John the Baptist's authority came from. They thought it came from man. But they didn't have the guts to say it. That's what they thought. They thought that John the Baptist was not a true prophet, but they could not say it in front of the crowd because they were cowards. If they'd have been truthful, they'd say, well, we know, but we're not going to tell you, Jesus. That, That would have been a way to hide it from the crowd and at least be honest about it, but been a little bit cowardly, but at least have been honest. But when they say, I don't know, that's total dishonest. They, they thought they knew. Jesus here is operating according to that great principle which he himself earlier taught, Matthew 7, 6. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them with their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. All right, that's it for the end of Matthew 11. Verses 27 through 33, Jesus is challenged by the Pharisees and defends himself as a preface to giving three very anti-religious leadership parables he's going to give, and we're going to take up one of those in the next chapter of Mark, Mark chapter 12. I hope you enjoyed this audio.